Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you for joining me. Today, a conversation with a difference. Today, we are not talking about strategy. We're not talking about audiences or stakeholders or channels or content or measurement, evaluation. As important as those things are, and I hope you are continuing to create great content uh, and tell great stories, uh, but today we're going to focus on you, you as a worker, you as an employer, you as a team member, you as a family member, because during this COVID-19 pandemic, there are such stresses, such strains that we're really conscious that we try to create some great value and, and great insight for you around looking after yourself and looking after your families and looking after your teams at work. So today, we've been joined by two of Australia's foremost experts in corporate health and mental well-being, Tony Bradford and Rachel Clements from the Centre for Corporate Health. Tony Bradford is the co-founder and managing director of the Centre for Corporate Health, which is an organisation that specialises in helping workplaces better manage mental health, psychological safety and workplace stress. Originally from the Riverina in the state of New South Wales in Australia, Tony ran away from home and joined the Navy at the age of 17, where he began his career as a naval officer. He was fascinated from a very early part of his career about workplace dysfunction and why it occurs. And so from there, he developed a passion for transforming workplace cultures through building better leaders. Following his service in the Australian Navy and a short stint with EY's change management consultancy in the late 90s, Tony has spent the past 20 years consulting to organisations in a variety of industries, including government. I'm also joined by Tony's partner in both life and business, Rachel Clements. Rachel is also a co-founder and director of psychological services and the principal organisational psychologist for the Centre for Corporate Health. For over 25 years, Rachel has focused on building individual and organisational resilience and minimising the risk of workplace mental health deterioration. She has worked across a range of industries and has carved a niche, especially in professional services organisations such as law firms, banks and finance companies, as well as working in government at all levels. Rachel is Australia's preeminent workplace mental health expert and is a regular keynote speaker at national and international conferences often sought out by the media both here in Australia and overseas, and is a regular contributor to the Huffington Post. They join me now. Thanks very much, Tony and Rachel, for joining me on GovComs. It's great to be here, David. You're welcome. Tony, I might just start with you, just in terms of what we're dealing with at the moment and what you're seeing as someone 
who's so vitally involved and for such a long period of time uh, in in workplaces and what's happening. What are you seeing that is going on at the moment in terms of workplaces, but really in terms of the workplace health of people who are in those workplaces, which are now a lot more distributed than they were just a few weeks ago? Well, I think the uh, the big thing that we're noticing now, uh, David, is uh, some workplaces are doing uh, okay and others are really struggling. And I think it, it really goes to that old adage that uh, often client, or our clients that we notice will often pay to fix something, but they won't pay to prevent it. And we're seeing this uh, with not only COVID-19, but a whole range of different things at the moment in terms of organisations just not being prepared in terms of issues to deal with staff resilience and mental health, coping with anxiety, fear, these sorts of things. Um, and that's really playing out at the moment as we, we've sort of gone through this panic phase and we're now in this real languishing phase where sort of people are sort of really standing still, not knowing what's really sort of coming up. What are the characteristics of the workplaces that have performed better um, than their peers? What, what were people doing right that has enabled them to perform better during this period? Well, I think the first thing is that organisations that are doing well have had a, a clear plan. Um, like many organisations that have, you know, uh, business continuity plans and disaster recovery plans and risk mitigation plans, and we know all those uh, very well, and we're very good at dealing those with regards to cybersecurity and IT threats and financial risk. The ones that have done it with regards to mental health risk uh, are really positioned well at the moment uh, in terms of uh, building resilience, uh, strengthening well-being, uh, the way they recruit their staff, the way they develop their staff and their capability. Um, and some organisations are, are, are just getting on with it right now, whereas a lot of others are, are really struggling. Tony, is it fair to say that everything that, that we learnt and we knew about good operating practices and sustainable mental health pre-COVID-19 is really not going to apply post-COVID-19, given that workplaces are likely to uh, devolve and, and change and be much, much different because of the pandemic? No, I think the, the ones that will uh, thrive post-COVID-19, uh, as I said, the ones that really had a plan there beforehand, but a lot are learning new things now, especially around risk uh, and around prevention. Uh, and I guess early intervention, that's the, the big thing that we're seeing. And I think uh, organisations will now take it, uh, mental health quite seriously. Uh, isolation is certainly going to play a, a big part. We're going to see changes in work practices. Um, and uh, change, of course, brings lots of uncertainty as people doubt themselves. There's challenges to the control, comfort zones, the way their competence and confidence, the way people do things. So we're going to see a lot of changes uh, when we come out of this. So, Rachel, if I might pose a question to you around um, the best advice that you might have for, for not just people who are, uh, you know, in charge, the bosses, so to speak, but, but the workers who are now sort of away and, and isolated from their colleagues on a daily basis because they are having to work from home. What's your observation of the pressures that they're under and how are you advising them to, uh, to be their best possible self? Thanks, David. That's a great question. I mean, what we are seeing at this time is that there is an enormous amount of stress and anxiety 
so as we're seeing, actually people are spiking in terms of if somebody had a previous mental health issue, such as depression, anxiety, we've seen those exacerbated through the isolation. We have seen people developing uh, mental health issues such as depression, anxiety, when they never had one before as a result of the pressures inherent in isolation. Sadly, we have seen in our practice and, and across the board an increase in issues such as family and domestic violence. We have seen an increase in alcohol consumption and people coping with the stress of isolation through alcohol and, and other unhelpful kind of coping strategies. And we are seeing such an increase in loneliness right now as well. And, you know, the research on loneliness is pretty impactful in saying that it can be as bad for our physical health as smoking 15 to 20 cigarettes a day. So it's really interesting to note that social connectedness is one of the best things that we can do in this time. And in fact, some interesting research on social connectedness shows that if we can have meaningful connected relationships with people around us, even though it might be remotely, We've got to be a bit more effortful, a bit more intentional, and maybe a bit more creative about how we're going to do that. It actually does boost our immunity. So actually, we can protect ourselves against the virus through actually having improved immunity through very good social relationships. So my biggest advice at the moment, whether it's through leaders, our leader programs that we're running, whether it's through our team programs that we're running, is stay connected to people and particularly trying to see people. There's a lot of research that shows that our brain does actually release a, a chemical in our brain called oxytocin when we connect with others. And what oxytocin does, it floods the brain and it makes us feel so much better. And it makes us feel as if I can handle this, I can come through this, I, I'll, this will be temporary, I'll, I'll make it through to the end of this. Um, but we really only get that true release of oxytocin through meaningful connectedness with people. So it doesn't really work if you're just saying, hi, how was your weekend? And then you've kind of gone past and haven't really listened to the answer. And actually, visually seeing people is really important as well. So we really are in many ways, I think, just at the, the beginning of, of the fallout. Do you think it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better? And if it does get worse... What can employers do to flatten the curve in terms of the impact that there's going to be? And obviously, we've already seen governments starting to invest more money, um, you know, to try to uh, reduce the, the the incidence of that insidious domestic violence, which is obviously a, a, a curse in many Western societies. Yeah, look, I, I am predicting that the impact on well-being will get a little worse before it gets better. As Tony has said, what we've observed is people progressing through some quite unique stages during COVID-19 in terms of their well-being. We've seen the fight and the flight, the anxiety, the panic stage, which was around about seven weeks ago. We're now seeing people go into the tiredness, the fatigue, the, right, we're going to be in this situation for quite a long time. This is not just a few, few weeks. If we're not careful, people can fall into that state that Tony was mentioning about languishing, which can lead to depression. I think as soon as some of those restrictions are lifted, we will get a surge in that energy, that vitalization. We'll be feeling more optimistic, more hopeful, more positive towards the future. But then as we transition back to what I'm calling our new normal, 
Life will never be the same for us, I don't think, as it was pre-COVID-19. So our new normal, we're going to be getting on public transport again. Parents will be separated from their children. Um, we're going to have people that are going back to work. And that is going to increase the anxiety response yet again. I think people are going to forget how busy their lives were before. <laughs> and we're going to see people fall into the tiredness. Oh, I've forgotten to pace myself. I've got to work. I've got travel. I've got kids with after-school activities. I've got social things. So people are going to go into that tiredness and that fatigue again. And then when we do come through this eventually, and the challenging thing is we just don't know when that will be. And I think that's the challenge for people at the moment that they're benchmarked. We just don't know when and how long, but we're going to see the hope and the optimism and we will come through it. It's just, we're, we're not sure. So I would say to organisations, your best investment right now, supportive leadership, having your leaders close to your teams. And even if that means you've got to invest in skills for your leaders right now around some of those stages of wellbeing for staff and, and themselves, and how do we actually lead through those wellbeing stages? That's certainly something we are really busy doing right now. We are teaching leaders the skills to respond to their staff and their teams as they're going through those wellbeing stages, because of course, that impacts on productivity, performance, attendance, motivation, all of those things that are inherent to us having a successful business. Mm. Tony, if I might ask uh, a question of you, what was your general assessment there at the, at the Centre for Corporate Health where you and Rachel were, you know, as I say, at, at right at the, at the front of understanding, you know, the health and performance and, and, and the well-being in different uh, workplaces. What was your overall assessment of how well we were doing here in Australia in terms of managing our uh, workplaces in such a way that they were not only uh, productive, but they were, they were safe? Look, I think um, and I think Australia leads the way really with regards to uh, workplace mental health and well-being. Um, for many, many years, we have been on this journey uh, across many industries, um, especially in areas like professional services and government uh, that have been very, very proactive in terms of building uh, capability around resilience, well-being and, and mental health. Um, and so I think uh, for a lot, we've been well prepared. Um, of course, not all industries, some are, some are struggling. Uh, that's that you know, old uh, expression again, you pay now or pay later. And, uh, and so that's what we're sort of seeing at the moment. I think uh, we're, we're gonna go well um, and it will take some time as Rachel said. And uh, I think the new normal is gonna be very interesting in terms of changes to work practices, uh, processes, uh, the way technology is being used at the moment. I know in our own office, uh, we just moved into a, a brand new place last December with all these square meters and, and we, uh, we probably won't need it all now uh, as we've got used to teleworking and uh, remote working so it's going to be a, a very interesting time at the end of all this do you have any insight or perhaps uh, you know your best guess as to what that shape of work is going to look like post um COVID-19 as we move into the recovery in terms of the balance of being in the office and, and being at home and then how are you going to build and strengthen the teams that that you have working with you 
Yeah, I think that the key word that's really coming up for me at the moment is terms is, is uh, I know we've heard a lot about it, but is agile, uh, flexible. Um, we are being very adaptive right now. We need to be in this marketplace and in this world environment, and that will continue. I think we're learning all learning new skills around that in terms of being uh, very adaptive, uh, uh, collaboration and teamwork and the way we communicate. Uh, people are using things like Microsoft Teams or Slack or Google Hangouts and, and all these sort of things, which is really cha changing the way we communicate and collaborate within workplaces. Um, so I think the, the old ways of doing things and the traditional sort of conservative ways of, of working um, are probably not going to uh, uh, put us in good stead uh, moving forward. And the other thing that's it's a bit of a concern for us as well is, uh, and I've, I've felt this personally myself, is an issue around boundaries, uh, personal and work boundaries. Uh, uh, working from home, I need to remind myself, oh, it's time to, time to knock off now and, and not check those emails. Wow. And, I think uh, those stopping cues that we used to have pre-COVID-19 about now's the time to take your lunch break, go home, go to the gym, whatever, um, that's been a bit of a challenge. So I think a lot of us, uh, flexibility and adaptability is a, is a good thing, um, but also creating, uh, sorry, um, uh, 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 taking into account individual circumstances and needs because uh, we, we can't sort of have a one-size-fits-all approach. And we've certainly found that with our own team uh, throughout this uh, crisis. So, Rachel, what then? Uh, what advice then do you have when when you're talking with your clients about perhaps the best ways to establish those boundaries that that Tony referred to? What what are you, what advice are you giving people in in terms of helping them to understand the way that they need to to best structure and manage their 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 work life and their home life? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point because at the moment what I'm seeing across the board, whether it's executives, senior managers or team members, people are saying to me, I can't switch off. You know, I'm starting really early in the morning because I'm working from home and then I'm actually just powering through till much later than I normally would be because I'm professionally basically to switch off. And then because I'm working from home psychologically, I'm actually finding it really hard to switch off because I can't quite remove myself. So there's that area of boundary. The other area of boundary I see is that work and personal life have collided right now. So the other challenge, major challenge for people is that when children were at school, they were you know, off doing their schooling, but now a lot of parents are not only working their full-time job and full-time hours, but now they're doing grade six maths and having to homeschool their kids as well. So that's become such a stress for people. So I've seen that impact on boundaries enormously where people, I mean, some people I'm working with are starting work at about 5, 5 a.m., getting a couple of hours in before the kids get up. And if they've got young children, they're doing all the homeschooling then they're jumping on the emails again from about seven till about midnight. And then, you know, just really trying to, to keep up with their work and their personal life. So I think it is very much around educating people around expectations is one thing about certainly around looking at you can't take your normal work life and, and an abnormal kind of personal life and bring them together and try to make them fit because it actually doesn't work. You can do it for a short time, but at the end of the day, it is around adjusting your expectations. Maybe that means I've got to have some conversations with people about what I can and can't do during this time. 
maybe I need to get some extra help or support in to assist me at this time. And at the moment we are teaching, as Tony was saying, we're teaching people stopping cues to actually be able to remind themselves to stop and do something to recalibrate themselves and reset themselves back into their personal life. Because it's not like I can get on in my car or public transport and I have that separation. I'm using the journey home. There is no journey. So we're actually teaching people the skills of recalibration in their own home, basically. So, yeah, but, but that's interesting, isn't it? Because if we don't get that right, it'll be a disaster um, for, the, for the economy, for families and, and for, for everybody else. So as, as we sit yeah. here now, a, a number of weeks into the pandemic with sort of no real end in, in, in sight, you know, the number of six months, uh, certainly, you know, six, seven weeks ago was, was spoken about in terms of people getting prepared to live uh, a different way. As, as you look at, at, at the industry and as you know the industry, across, sorry, across uh, um, the economy, across a number of industries, are you hopeful that we're going to get these adjustments right or are you fearful that, in fact, we won't get this right because we're not talking about it enough? I think it's going to be a, a combination. I mean, this situation, we have to remember, is unprecedented. We have never been in this situation before. There is no roadmap for us. So actually we're learning along the way. And I think that's what's been so stressful because as humans, we love certainty, predictability and a routine. And basically very, very quickly, our world, our personal world and our, per our life's working world was turned upside down really quickly. So I have to say we are, everybody, Every industry that we're working with is trying to develop their own roadmap, but it's not perfect. At the moment, we would be on the phone to clients every single week to develop a strategy for the next week. So all we're doing with clients at the moment is literally planning one week ahead because this situation is so rapidly changing. And as Tony mentioned before, the word agile, we have to be agile. We've got to be creative. We're doing quick pivots in our personal life and in our work life. And it's basically just evaluating where we are as a business or where we are as a team every single week and making those adjustments and accommodations as necessary. So, Tony, um, a final word from you before I ask Rachel a final question. So what's your best advice to, to team members? This is a podcast for people who generally work in government communication teams. They generally work closely together. Um, often very, you know, creative people who are working in this space. Uh, and now many of them, you know, split apart, working from home, um, working in, in different locations. What's your best advice to them as to how they can be the, be the best possible team member that they can be at the moment? Uh, it's a great question, David, and it's something that actually I addressed with our own company only uh, a couple of weeks ago as we sort of really got into the thick of it. And that is for everyone to really um, I have a good look at how you're contrib uh, co contributing to the organisation. Um, we know that there are sort of givers and takers out there in, in society and, and the ones that are thriving and doing okay are, are the givers, not the takers. Uh, so if you uh, know your place, your role, your duties, uh, expectations are clear and you have that uh, element or attitude of service, and contribution to your employer, um, I think that goes a, a long way. And as a manager and as an owner, 
that's that's gold. When I know I can trust my staff that they're actually thinking about the success of the business or the organisation, um, and they're really thinking about that rather than their own needs, um, that's that for me uh, is is something that's uh, just priceless. And Rachel, to you as a as a final question to the to the leaders of those teams, what's the best possible advice? Um, that you could give to them at the moment to make sure that that they are leading to their to their potential and that they're getting the best out of the, their teams that are contributing to a perhaps a, a higher organisational performance uh, and mission. Well, I, I would say the biggest contributor, uh, as we know, the research on employee wellbeing shows that the biggest predictor of employee wellbeing is actually supportive leadership it accounts for 60% of employee workplace wellbeing. So that means a huge chunk of our wellbeing is determined solely by the quality of our relationship with that employee and that direct line manager or supervisor or team leader. So I would say definitely enhancing and dialing up the supportive leadership 10 times more than what you ever did pre-COVID-19. What we did previously um, was probably the basics and that was okay in our environment then. But now the emotional needs of people are so much higher. The pressures and the stresses on people are so much higher that we need to dial up the volume on the supportive leadership. And if that is nice and high, that means people can pre- be protected against negative impacts for mental health, negative stress, impacts on depleting wellbeing. It's an enormous protective factor people, leaders can keep people psychologically well through their supportive leadership strategies. Well, Rachel Clements, thank you so much for your time today. And to you, Tony Bradford, thank you for your time today. Ladies and gentlemen, there we have it. The best possible advice that you could have from Australia's two leading experts in mental health well-being in the workplace. And I think the advice there is really, you know, there's so much in that. And I would actually go back and listen to this. If you don't listen once, listen twice to really pick up a lot of the nuggets that were mentioned there by both Tony and Rachel. Just those, the, the simple things that can be done. And, and in these times of stress and worry, just to overemphasize the care um, for your fellow workers and to really keep an eye out for people and, and that notion of kindness and and really being thoughtful. But I, I also take that no, that, that uh, advice and guidance around boundaries and really, you know, keep pulling yourself up, keep thinking about what you're doing and trying to work against that notion of that always on because we just don't know where we're going to end up with this thing. So this could go on for quite some time. So we really need to be kind to ourselves. We need to be kind to each other. And we need to try to be as produ- uh, productive as we possibly can and to work against this that insidious thing, that, that domestic violence, which is just such a plague that we all have to be so mindful of and we have to work so hard to get rid of. So, yeah, great advice there from uh, Tony and from Rachel from the Centre for Corporate Health here in Australia. So I thank them for giving up some of their valuable time today. And I thank you, the audience, for coming back once again. A great topic, an important topic. And I'm one, I'm very grateful that you've spent some time with me this afternoon to listen to people who really know how to build great teams in the workplace and have given us so much value this afternoon. So thanks to them. Thanks to you. And I'll be back at the same time in two weeks with another edition of GovComs. But for the moment, it's bye for now. 
You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.